Our scripture today, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. These are the words of Jesus. Let him speak them over you this morning. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. When you're praying, don't heap empty phrases like the Gentiles do. For they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For the Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial. But rescue us from the evil one. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So today we begin this series on the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that occurs in two of our four Gospels, Matthew and Luke. We're going to use the longer Matthew version, which I just read for you, because that's the one that we pray on a weekly basis here at Hinsdale Covenant, and indeed is prayed all over the world this morning and every Sunday for the last 2,000 years. It's something that binds us together as believers. Now, how many of you noticed that we didn't pray it this morning? Did that feel weird to anybody else? Okay, good. You were paying attention. All right. Um, don't worry. We will pray this this morning. It's going to be part of our response to the word today, and we're going to do that throughout this series. So, you know, if you, if you feel like you missed it at the beginning of the service for the next nine weeks, you didn't. So why the Lord's Prayer this spring season? Well, as I'm sure some of you have been feeling, uh, we are beginning to come back to life in many ways. It's so wonderful to see some of you over the last few weeks sort of re-enter corporate worship here with us. We're so glad to see that. Some of you have been away from church for a long time and you're returning. So as we discussed this spring series, we wanted something that was sort of foundational, something to rally around as we re-emerge from a year of separation with one another. So we're going to walk by this incredibly foundational thing, something that we do every week. We're going to walk through it line by line through the Lord's Prayer over the next nine weeks, as you'll see here. The, the Lord's Prayer has been and will continue to be a central part of our worship together. So it's good for us to study the Lord's Prayer in depth. Um, I don't know about you. I learned this prayer when I was a little boy. I have no memory of learning this prayer. I think I probably picked it up from church services and Sunday school, maybe before my first memories, I already had that in my mind and in my heart. I know that Katie and I taught that to our kids as well. When they were little, they probably can't pinpoint a time. Here's when I learned the Lord's Prayer. And that's a beautiful thing, right? But there's also a liability in that. And the liability is that if we're not careful, these words can become perfunctory. They can become words that we sort of string together and we don't pause to actually think about what we're saying. Uh, years ago, my brother sent me a blog, and some of you have seen these, that compiles t-shirts from all over the world. 
uh, in non-English speaking places. Uh, there's a trend that's, it's trendy, the English language is trendy, so they just put a whole bunch of different words on a t-shirt. Have you seen these? Um, as you can see, many of them are just, just random English words that are strung together. They have no meaning at all. Uh, they're funny to read, but they're also completely nonsensical, right? Maybe you've heard stories of someone who got a tattoo. I won't ask if anybody has this story here. Got a tattoo in Mandarin or Arabic or Hebrew only to realize later that the tattoo they got said something completely different than what they thought they were getting. Have you heard those stories? My concern is that this is how the Lord's Prayer can become for us if we're not careful. A string of words, sort of a talisman, something that we recite rather than the life-giving words from Jesus himself, words that bind us together with Christians everywhere throughout the centuries, words that form us and inform our faith in Jesus Christ, words that shape and, and, and pattern our prayer lives after the pattern of Jesus' prayer life. So we as pastors, we have hopes that this series will do at least two things. First, we hope that it strengthens your relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. Because when we pray this prayer, what we're really doing is we are aligning ourselves with Jesus, and we are seeking the priorities of Jesus, right? We are longing for what he longs for. More on that to come. But we also hope, secondarily, that this strengthens your own prayer life. Now, as I think about the work that I've done in this church and, and other churches that I've been in, there's one common theme that, that I can pull through, and that is I've met almost nobody over the years who thinks that they are awesome at prayer. Anybody here, you're like, I'm awesome. I have no holes in my prayer life. I've got it down. It's just, it's, it's perfect. It's always life-giving. I'm never bored. I'm never, I don't think I've heard anybody say that. There are even people in my life, some of you here, as I'm looking out here, I know you have gifts in prayer, and I see you as a very prayerful person, even those people go, no, I'm not that good at prayer. I'm not that good at prayer. One of my faith heroes is the author Frederick Buechner. He was asked in an interview about five years ago on his own prayer life. This is one of the most articulate people in the world, right? And these are the words that spilled out of his mouth to describe his prayer life. Meager, inarticulate, sporadic, random, and helpless. Do you ever feel that way? I confess to you as a pastor, I feel that way often. And by the way, it's not always your fault if you feel this way. Prayer takes stillness and focus and, and time and quiet, and those are something that we have a short supply of. I'm sure many of you can think of, man, I, I, I got up early and I had my coffee and my tea ready, and then my child woke up an hour earlier than they normally do, or a phone call came, or I remembered I had something to do or somewhere to be, let alone the fact that we, we, most of us have one of these in our pockets, right? Make no mistake that these are engineered to make billions and billions of dollars by taking our attention and holding it as long as possible. So we have a lot to contend with when we come to prayer. But... Even as I've heard people say that they don't have much of a prayer life or it's not a great prayer life, I also hear pretty much everybody say, I wish I did have that. I've never heard anybody say, my prayer life is a total mess. And you know what? I'm okay with that. It's working well for me. There's something in us that wants a fervent prayer life. That's why in the run-up to Luke's 
gospel where he talks about the Lord's Prayer, the disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. Well, we were just singing, teach us to pray. Fun fact, did you realize this is the only time in the gospels, all four of the gospels, that we get this kind of request from the disciples. They never ask Jesus, teach us to, to speak in parables. Teach us to teach like you do. Teach us to cast out demons. Teach us to heal people. They don't do that. The only time they do this is to say, teach us to pray. Why? Why do they have this longing to pray? Here's what I think. I think that they were with Jesus every day, and they saw someone who was awesome at prayer, who had no holes in his prayer life, right? And they said, I want that. I want that. I wish I had the time to, to spend a whole sermon just walking through every time in the gospel that it says that Jesus withdrew to a quiet place to pray. Jesus went to a solitary place. Jesus went to the wilderness to pray. It would be a whole sermon. It happens all the time in the Gospels. And I think the disciples saw Jesus withdrawing to those places, and they saw him return and saw what that prayer life did for him, right? They saw the way in which it changed him and transformed him and equipped him for mission, the way that it worked in his, in his heart. And they wanted the same thing. So Jesus says, okay, I'll teach you to pray. He says, pray like this. And this morning, we start with those first few words of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Um, this phrase, little phrase, is so instructive for us. We're going to spend the whole morning talking about it. Notice that Jesus does not enter prayer with a laundry list of needs like we so often do, right, when we come to prayer. He starts with what? Relationship. Relationship who God is, and where God is. So let's take each of those one at a time. First, who God is. Jesus starts by saying, our Father. This is the kind of relationship that Jesus had with his heavenly Father, which begs the crucial question, how did Jesus understand that relationship with Father God? Why Father God? Because if Jesus is the pattern for our life and our prayer life, then we have to ask this question to understand what he meant when he called Jesus Father. So the word itself, um, Jesus uses the word pater uh, most frequently to refer to God. It's his, it's his favorite way of talking to God. And pater is the Greek word for father. It's kind of a one-to-one -one translation in English. I just say that because we never say that as preachers, right? We never say, yeah, the Greek and English are the same here. Pater. All the meaning of father in English is the same thing in Greek. So Jesus refers to God as pater hundreds of times in the gospel, by far his favorite way of addressing him. And the most staunch Jews of his time were not comfortable at all with him calling Jesus, or calling God Father. And here's why. If you look through the Old Testament, God is called Father quite frequently. But it is always the Father of a people, a group of people, the people of Israel. It's never a personal Father. And yet Jesus uses this term in a personal, knowing way. He's saying, my Father, my Abba, my Dad, my Father. Pious Jews who were always so aware of the gap between a, a holy God and, and sinful human beings would have never dared address God as my personal father. To speak of him with such familiarity was seen as compromising the holiness of God. It was a shocking way to speak of God. By saying our father, Jesus is inviting his disciples into that same personal knowing relationship that he fostered with God the Father in those quiet places that he was withdrawing to. Uh, a few years ago, we did a sermon series on the idea of God as Father to us. You can go back and revisit that if you'd like to, but the whole point of that series 
was that it's really important for us to have the right concept of who God the Father is if we're going to approach him in the right way. Because if you conceive of God the Father as a punitive, fearsome dictator who's just looking for you to slip up so that he can judge you, that is going to profoundly affect the way that you pray, isn't it? In the same way, if you conceive of God as sort of this laissez-faire, disinterested watchmaker who, who builds this beautiful thing, winds it up, and then just sort of leaves the room, that's going to affect your prayer life too, isn't it? I recognize that some of us will have barriers to the idea of God as our father because of our earthly fathers. I am so fortunate to have a wonderful earthly father who I still have an incredible relationship with. I know that's not everybody's story here. I know that's not everybody's story. If you have deep wounds from your earthly father or father figures in your life, abuse, neglect, absence, distance, first of all, I'm so sorry. That is not the pattern that God intends. But I also, at the same time, I want, you, I want to encourage you to work through that with a pastor, a spiritual director, a, a counselor, a psychologist, because it's very important for you to start to chip away at that barrier that you have to God as your father because Jesus rested in the relationship that he had with his father. And there's a richness in that relationship that I actually believe will be the agent of healing for you. In this series that we had, we concluded by saying that God, our father, is the one who knows us and he loves us and he only ever has the best intentions for us. So when we pray, our father, we are asserting that to be true, that God, the father, knows us, loves us, and has only the very best intentions for us. So the second part of the phrase, who is in heaven or who art in heaven. So we need to do a little bit of deconstruction here. Uh, our concept of heaven, especially in the English language, Western world, is not at all what the Jews would have conceived of as heaven and what that word actually means in scripture. We typically think of heaven, and we've been conditioned to, to, to think this way. We think of heaven as a place that's really far away, that's covered in clouds, and it's a place that we go when we die, Right? That's what we have in our brain when we think of heaven. The, the Greek word for heaven is actually huranos, or uranos, which is actually a plural word. So it's, it would be just as appropriate to say uh, our father who is in the heavens. And it can be translated not, not only as heavens, but air or atmosphere. That changes things, doesn't it? So when we pray to our father who art in the heavens, it's quite literally the opposite of a faraway, non-earthly place that we go when we die. Instead, our Father, God the Father, is in the air that we breathe. He's the atmosphere that we walk in and live in. He is as close to us as he can possibly be. He's around us and behind us and under us and above us and through Jesus Christ is in us. Listen to how the Anglican Church in North America answers this question, what is heaven? Heaven is the realm of God's presence, power, and glory, which exists invisibly alongside this visible realm, and from which God hears the prayers of his children. How good is that? So as we put this together, let me give you a dynamic translation of this phrase. 
When we say our Father who art in heaven, we could actually also be saying our Father who knows us and loves us and has only our best intentions at heart and who is as near to us as the very air we breathe. Now that's a way to start a prayer, isn't it? You are already set up to have a great time of prayer if this is how you begin your prayers. If we have in mind that this is the way that we approach God, that's going to change the way that we pray. So I, I just want to offer a few ways that this proper understanding of God as our Father can change our prayer life and our relationship with God. First of all, it gives us a proper biblical understanding of actually who we're praying to, which is really important. We are missing out on the riches of life with God if we conceive of him as a father who is merely a positional uh, being, right? That he's way up here and we are way down here. God the Father is so much more than a position. God the Father is something that we are invited into relationship with. It's still a holy God, mind you, however loving and tender and gracious, and some of us are so unbalanced in our understanding of God or have been influenced by traditions that are super unbalanced. I, I want to invite you, if that's you, to, to hold both of these things freely in no conflict in your, in your mind and in your hands. God is sovereign and holy, and God is near you and for you. He's sovereign and holy. He's beyond anything that we could ever imagine, and he is near you, and he is for you. I think a lot of our prayer lives become stale and laborious and impotent because we forget who we're praying to. Because if we have complete, incomplete or incorrect concepts of who God is and where God is, it's no wonder that our prayer lives can be meandering and vacant. It's no wonder that we can be like, I was praying and then my mind went to other places and I just got bored. Uh, I've quoted John Tyson, Pastor John Tyson, more than anybody else in the last year, but this quote's too good to, to not put it in this morning. Listen to what he has to say about this. Unless you break through the stronghold of false images of God in your mind, you'll never be drawn to prayer. The angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years, and they still have not gotten past the word holy. Holy, holy, holy. If you're bored with God, you may be the person who is boring. Or it could be that you're just distracted by trivia in our culture. When you break through that boredom, you'll be drawn to the glory of who God really is. So when we know that God loves us and is for us and is all around us, we're going to be drawn into deeper prayer. Second, when we pray our Father who art in heaven, it starts our prayer life off in the right place, which is important. We often get so drawn into prayer being a checklist of petitions that we have, concerns that we have, it's something that oftentimes we only pray when we're in need. I have that tendency. But if you look at the Lord's Prayer in its totality, the first half of it doesn't have any personal petitions. The petitions actually go last in the prayer, right? What's the first half? The first half is who God is and where God is and what God is doing. So we start with who God is and our desire to experience him here and now. Uh, God's been doing a good work in, in my heart. He's been drawing me into deeper prayer in the last few years. I'm so thankful for that. Um, I still struggle with prayer. I'll be honest with you. But do you know how I know that I'm growing in prayer? This is a really good indicator for me that I was growing in prayer and maturing in prayer. Every once in a while, I have times in my prayer life now where I forget to ask God anything personal. 
because I start thanking him for who he is and I get a sense of what he's doing and I experience his presence and I get caught up in it and I forget whatever it was that drew me into prayer in the first place, whatever needs that I have. Now, those moments are still kind of few and far between for me. I have a long way to go. But those are transformative moments for me because not only do I recognize God's presence with me, but I feel his acceptance and his love. If all I'm doing is saying, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need, where is the space to just say, God, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Ronald Rollheiser, in his marvelous little book entitled Prayer, writes about having a dream um, while he was deep in sleep, having a dream where he was asked to pick up Jesus from the airport. And he said, my dream turned very quickly into a nightmare. How will I know what he looks like? What if I miss him? What will he think of me? If he knows me, what's he going to say to me? Listen to what he writes, and, and I want you to think about this as you think about entering into prayer. What happened was the opposite of all my expectations. Suddenly walking down the corridor towards me was Jesus smiling, beaming with light, coming straight for me, rushing, eager to meet me. Everything about him was stunningly and wonderfully disarming. There was no awkward moment. Everything about him erased that all and fast. His eyes, his face, his body embraced me without reserve and without judgment. I knew that he saw straight through me, all my faults and weaknesses, my lack of substance, and none of it mattered. And for that moment, none of it mattered to me either. Jesus was eager to meet me. In a moment like this, one forgets everything except that God is here. There's no place for fear or shame or wondering what God thinks of you. That's something that all of us must somehow learn, somehow experience. Do you know how we can experience that somehow? We start our prayers with who God is and where God is and how he feels about us and his presence and his nearness to us. That's how we can experience that. Finally, if we're mindful of who we're praying to, it's hard for these words to become stale. The Lord's Prayer that we're going to study this whole spring, it's such a gift. I'm so glad you're here at the front end of this, and I hope this motivates you to, to come back each and every week as we dig into this. I, I'm really confident after nine weeks that you're going you're gonna to feel like you, you really know this in a new way. It's going to really bless you. The Lord's Prayer is a gift that reminds us of who God is and then invites him to bring his kingdom on earth, to bring his reality fully into our reality. It's an invitation into relationship with a loving and holy and present God. And that's just good news. That's gospel. That's good news. The words transform from a string of random words that we just sort of put together or words that are so overused that they lose their meaning into words that are actually like food and drink for us. They're like a source of life, their sustenance, their nourishment for us. Because they were nourishment and a source of life for Jesus when he went off to those quiet places to spend time alone with his father. When we're mindful that we are entering the presence of God, these words come alive for us. So you see, and what you'll learn in the weeks to come, is that the Lord's Prayer, though we do recite it as a liturgy, it's not really a liturgy to recite. You know what it is? It's a template for our own prayer lives. It's a template for us to follow. 
I want to encourage you as you pray to God this week, would you start it this way? Would you start it just by saying, God, my Father who loves me, who cares for me, who is as near to me as the air I breathe. Before I say anything else, I just want to recognize who you are and where you are. And so each week during the series, we're going to pray this prayer. And we're going to pray it slowly. And we're going to pray it with some pauses. Each week we're going to pause after the verse or the, the clause that we're going through just to take some time to absorb and to pray together. So let's start that here this morning. Would you join me in saying the first line of this great gift that Jesus gives to us? Our Father who art in heaven. Again, say it again. Our Father who art in heaven. One more time. Our Father who art in heaven. Let's just pause for a moment. I want you to visualize like Father Rollheiser that you are meeting Jesus, that you're going to pick him up at the airport. I want you to visualize him coming to you. This is what prayer is. A God who loves you. Just visualize his presence with you here right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your, for your presence with us through the Holy Spirit. That you are not in some place far away, but that you are as near to us as the very air we breathe. And if this is indeed our Father, that means we are children. We're his children. Let's receive him as a child this morning. Take a moment and just think about how a child receives the love of a father. Speak your love to God, our Father, as a child loves his or her good father. And as we're mindful of who God is and his presence with us, we bring our lives before him. We bring our petitions and our cares and our desires before him as well. I invite you to pray those out loud as you feel led this morning. Thanksgivings and petitions to God. of who you are and your presence with us we lift these prayers to you we thank you for the rosebud on the table the sign of new life we thank you for little Evelyn Piper growth we thank you Lord that you are a God who answers prayer Lord we have been praying here in this place for Mike and Rachel and their desire for a child for many years you are good you are faithful we are thankful 
thank you for celebrations that are happening in our families as we're able to see each other more. For children and grandchildren who are able to see their loved ones, we give you thanks. Thank you for a birthday celebration for my dear Lydia yesterday and those celebrations of life that remind us of your goodness to us. We pray for those who are in need of your healing. We think of Will Leonard at Good Sam today as he prepares for another surgery. I thank you, Lord, for guarding his life in that car accident. Lord, would you guard his life and his healing now? We pray, too, for our brothers and sisters in India, in Chopra, who we're bound together with in your kingdom call. We pray for Pastor Shalman, who has numerous friends and family members who are in the hospital with COVID fighting for their lives. Would you guard their lives? And Lord, we, we lift up the grief of our Indian covenant pastors, five of whom have lost their lives to COVID in the last few weeks. For their families and their congregations, Lord, would you be a balm of comfort and hope? Lord, we thank you that we can bring our very lives before you because of who you are and because of where you are, which is right here with us. And so we continue in the prayer that you taught us to pray from the depths of our hearts. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand together.